Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is a show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talked to Payman Tai, the founder and CEO of Visme, an all-in-one visual communication platform for non-design professionals. In 2010, Payman was running a web design agency where he had been building mostly Flash-based websites for his clients. After Apple dropped support for Flash, Payment had the idea of building a similar tool for designers using HTML5. Once the tool was built, he organized a local focus group for designers, but not a single designer turned up. But that turned out to be a blessing in disguise because it made him realize that he was building the wrong product for the wrong market. So he set his sights on building an all-in-one design tool for people who weren't designers. Although Visme grew slowly in its early years, Payman continued to focus on his agency business until 2018, when he finally went all in with Visme. Today, Visme has grown into a successful seven-figure business with 18.5 million registered users and almost 100 employees. And the business is fully bootstrapped. In this episode, Payman shares his journey of building Visme, the challenges he faced, and the mistakes he made along the way. We discuss his experiences with content marketing and SEO, finding the right balance between great UX and monetization, competing with larger companies, and scaling the platform to meet the demands of a growing user base. We also talk about Payman's efforts to differentiate Visme from its competitors and the lessons he's learned on pricing and marketing. So I hope you enjoy it. Payman, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Do you have a favorite quote, something that inspires or motivates you that you can share with us? My favorite quote is just be consistent. Don't give up. Nice and sweet. That's what's worked for me. Tell us about uh, Visme. What does the product do? Who's it for? And what's the main problem you're helping to solve? I could explain it in five minutes, but I'll try to keep it as short as possible because uh, to uh, some of our users, we're known as a presentation platform. To some others, we're uh, known as a, a platform to create interactive documents, short videos, infographics, data visualizations. But uh, the way we like to um, word it is that we're an all-in-one visual communication platform and focused more towards a non-design professionals. So a little bit more business-related, not enterprise in that it's this heavy, very difficult-to-use platform. It's actually fairly easy to use, low learning curve. And the best way that I would explain it to people is that if you were to take a top-leading um, presentation or graphic design tools, and uh, typically, and even to this date, I would divide them into two, two departments, compartments. One is on the left or the white, and that would be the uh, dumbed down, very easy to get into design tools or presentation platforms. But they have certain limitations. They have certain areas that you, get, uh, that, that you need to feel like you need to step beyond. And in that case, if you were to do, you have to step all the way and jump on the other side, which is the black and the you know, white and the black opposite. Um, and the higher learning curve, Lots of features, pretty powerful, really reserved for, you know, 5% of the population that are top design professionals and so on. And uh, we believe that instead of there being 90, 95% of people having to use the left side and only a few percent on the right, that there's this gray area and Visme essentially is the gray. And what it does is it bridges the gap between the simple and the powerful, allows you to create not just the ordinary stuff, but also fairly interactive stuff in a no-code environment. You can create pitch decks that are as you know, clean and simple as they can be. It can be fully interactive learning managements, 
you know, internal communications, download as videos are presented online. That's essentially what, what our platform is. Give us a sense of the size of the business, uh, where you're in terms of uh, users, you know, revenue, traffic, what can you share with us? Yeah, sure. So uh, we are uh, somewhere around 18 and a half million registered users at this point. Um, and uh, as far as uh, team size, we're a little bit under 100, somewhere in the 90s right now at this point. Although we don't uh, share our exact revenue numbers and so on, I will say that, you know, it's uh, we hit our first million in revenue somewhere, I think it was 2018 or so, 17, 18, somewhere in there. And then uh, we've continued to grow from there. What were you doing before you started Vizme? You were running a, a web design agency? Yeah, it was a web design. Uh, pretty much most of what we did was creating these really interactive, flash-based websites. For those, I guess, that if, unless you're, I guess, in your 30s at this point, <laughs> you wouldn't know what the Flash was. Adobe Flash was my favorite tool to use. And, and my team, we used to create these really highly interactive animated websites and with intros and music and so on. And uh, then, of course, Apple came out um, back in 2008 or 9, and then they stopped supporting Flash, uh, which was a plugin. So um, Vizme, partially as a result of that, is why it started. But it was actually initially to solve a challenge at my agency, which is where, hey, nobody wants Flash websites anymore. And also, what we create in Flash, you can't view it on an iPhone. And that was you know, becoming the that device and of course still is today. And so what do we do? And it was a little experimental project. Let's create what it did, creating ability to create kind of for designers with a timeline and animation abilities and so on. And then, but it will be based on HTML5, which even today is still the fabric of internet, essentially. Uh, all the apps, apps, everything is, is layered over HTML5. So it's not going anywhere because it's fabric on the internet. And so that's initially what Vizme was. But it turned out to be more than that because very early on, we pivoted and say, this really shouldn't be for designers. This should be solving another problem or challenge that I had. And one of the issues I had in my agency was, I'll go twofold, customers and also me, myself. When I would, let's say, create a website, I would have to, I wasn't a coder, so I was a designer. Um, I would go to multiple tools, create bitmaps and filters and so on in Photoshop vectors, icons, go to Illustrator, um, and then go to Dreamweaver. <laughs> People remember that was basically to create, put the web pages together. Yeah. Flash for the animations and so on. And then, and, you know, put that into the page and publish it and so on. Every single one of those tools, great tools, love them. But the work around the interface was different completely than the other one. So I always was frustrated that I have to, when I, I'm into the zone, I'm creating something, I got to go out of the zone, go to this other tool to accomplish something else. And it's a different environment, different interface. So it just never felt right. And so I was like, there must be a way others might be having this problem too, that are just looking to create different types of content, a presentation and, you know, graphic chart and so on. Why can't there just be one user interface to do all of that and yet be able to go beyond just the simple stuff? but then not go all the way to where it becomes extremely com um, complex, where then you really have to be a professional to, to learn it. So that's kind of how it all came about. So were you thinking of this as something to help run the agency business? What point did it become a separate you know, product or business that you were gonna invest your time and money in? 
The way the agency was set up, you know, we pretty much most of the sites we created were we did sites that were like four or five thousand dollars, and we did things that were you know twenty, thirty thousand dollars, and a few maybe that were you know fifty thousand dollars a year. Not a lot of those. So as a lot more site builders came out, people were basically creating their own websites for the lower end. So the four or five k people were usually smaller businesses; they don't really need to as heavily depend on you. And also, everybody's becoming a web designer. So I saw this coming, and uh, that has essentially started to make it harder to grow. And because I was pretty <laughs> pixel perfect, uh, you know, micromanager when it comes to design and to this day and when it comes to the product and so on, I wasn't an operator that would just step back and say, hey, let's put a couple of designers and I'll step back and just run the business and so on. And so it was very hard to scale it because I kept getting myself involved in projects. When Visme came out, yes, it was just an experiment. And again, I mentioned 2008, 2009. It's really 11, 12 that we even touched. It was just an idea. Flash's demise was in 2011 or 12 when iPhone came very popular for us, where people were like, well, we don't really need those websites anymore. We just want to be on WordPress and so on. And uh, so, but I know the iPhone came out 2008, 2009. It wasn't really 11, 12 until we actually started create uh, Visme. It was 2013 when we put out a very, very small focus group here in the Baltimore area, DC area. It, it was the Best thing that happened, no designers showed up, non-designers showed up to that focus group, bad marketing there. Um, and I was like, that was where the aha moment was. I was like, what the heck are we doing? These people that are, you know, individuals are trying to create like a pitch deck or he's trying to create a little infographic. What are we doing? That was the aha moment of, well, all in one for everyone and let's go that. And it was just a side project for another year or two. And I was just using some resources from hindsight and reinvesting it into Visme. And then when 2016, 17 kind of came around, I was like, well, this thing's growing faster, a lot faster than hindsight. And hindsight's not growing anymore, the, the agency. And my focus wasn't as much on that either. And I just kind of was like, this is the way to go. you know. And also I loved what I was doing. The other problem I had was when you have an agency, again, this is my personal opinion that I faced, uh, when you're at running an agency, you're creating other people's ideas for them. They have the final say. They're paying the money to do it. And so they say, I don't like this graphic unless design. Um, no, this is not going to work. So you're constantly restricted what they do. And also they're restricted by the budgets that they put in front of you. And if you want to spend 200, 300 hours working on this beautiful website, but the budget allows for only a third of that. So we're kept being like caged to really unleash the creativity in some sense. So with Visme, it's total opposite is where like we're creating this uh, creative platform, design platform for everyone, non-design professionals to use. And we're just empowering them to do things. And we're able to not just listen to them, but there's a lot of cool ideas and great things uh, that we have in mind of what we believe should be in the platform itself. Um, so that's really been a good formula for us. Okay. So you said this was a, a side project for a while. When you had that that aha moment when all of these non-designers turned up and told you what they were trying to do, what did you do next? Was was that the point where you felt, okay, this is not a side project, there's something a lot more, a bigger opportunity here? Or, or did you just continue to kind of play around with different features in the product? Like, I, I want to try to understand, like, side project to, like, first paying customer, how long did that take? Uh, yeah, so side project 2000, mid 2013, we did open it up. Um, it was free for everybody at first until I think 2014, 
late 2013 or early 14, but we just opened up and put a pay, paywall on it. We really weren't doing much marketing or anything. So it wasn't a couple of pages, a couple of directories and so on. So traffic was coming. We didn't know SEO or anything. So didn't didn't really market it. So it didn't really generate much revenue until 2000, mid 14, early 15 is where, okay, you know, each month there's a little bit more growth coming in. Um, so at that point, I think is when it was like near 2015, I was like, okay, like this might be the way to go, but it still couldn't stand on its own feet where it wasn't generating enough revenue for me to not take a salary, you know, for my other company. So I continued to operate, um, hindsight all the way till probably 2017 or 18, where I was essentially bringing more and more resources from there into VisMe, essentially just maintaining the customers we had. We're no longer getting really new customers. Um, unless they just knock down our door and just focus where it's there. So really, when I look at it, even though people say, hey, you may look at it and say, well, you guys, the business around this 2000, early 2023, you started in 2013. It's really, I think we got serious about it, 2015, uh, 16, you know. So that's when we started to go all in. I would say all in 2017 <laughs> in that aspect. It was still running the agency to spending about a third of my time, half of my time. And you said that you added a paywall in uh, 2014. Did you have to do anything to try and get those first 10 customers? Or did you already have enough traffic and free users that you were able to convert at least 10 of them into paying customers? Yeah, first year, I'm going by memory. First year, 2014 or so, we had about 25,000 registered users. A lot of those were students, teachers. They really wouldn't, you know, they wanted free tools, free tools. To this day, a lot of our traffic is from education and so on. And welcome to user tool, but they're not really our target target audience in essence. When they graduate, they are, <laughs> you know. And uh, so, you know, no, we just put up the paywall. We didn't know anything about A-B testing and so on. And traffic, little by little, just started to come in. You know, we created a couple more landing pages and learned a little bit more about SEO. And uh, so that's how it kind of was a paywall. Yes, there was a little bit of registration here and there here in the U.S., you know, nowhere outside. Um, for the first, uh, I don't know, a uh, few years. And then little by little, I guess, organic started to pick up in other countries or regions and so on. Do you do any outbound sales for you know larger customers or is this all product-led? People sign up, use the free product, and then at some point, some of them upgrade to a paid plan? Yes, product-led, uh, still is product-led, but... We actually didn't even, uh, we didn't form our first sales team until early last year. So we have a, um, a sales team, essentially small sales team, a handful of people. And uh, part of those, though, a lot of the focus on that has been, I mean, we had some companies coming in, you know, the last prior years, uh, enterprise and so on. It's been a number of years. We have some enterprise people coming in, but they were inbound. You know, I love the tool. Tell us about it. Hey, we're looking to get like a team account. Uh, you know, or enterprise account and so on. So, uh, but to this day, still most of our um, sales revenue is is inbound. Referrals from existing people that are using the tool tell others about it. A lot of it from organic uh, traffic uh, that we drive. I want to talk about how you've grown to these 18 million users that you have today. Anyone can build a product and put a free plan on there, but that's not going to get you 18 million users. So you clearly did something right even if a large 
percentage of them are students or whatever, and people who are not going to pay. It's still a significant you know, number of people. So I think that from what I understand, most of that growth has come from content marketing and SEO. But tell, tell me about how you got on that road, because it wasn't smooth sailing from the start. Right? You were creating content, but you weren't really getting the results that you were hoping for. Yeah, I'll go through the, the, the process. So uh, first, this is how my thinking and our thinking was. And I think it wasn't necessarily correct. Like in our tool, maybe to a degree, I mean, it's good for branding, but I don't think so. I mean, it, it's two sides to it. It's fantastic because we're in such a huge market. Anybody can use our platform. You know, we have a marketing person, a student, a teacher, CEOs, executives, uh, you know, any role you can imagine, whoever needs to create a presentation or visual, graphic, design, social media, they essentially can be your audience. Ideal customers are more of the people that are businesses that are just a role. They have a professional role somewhere, whether they're a freelance or be a large company and so on. And uh, so the traffic and acquiring those was first what we did was, hey, let's just get more traffic to our website. We're only getting a few thousand visitors a month. Let's get more visitors. How do we do that? Because it wasn't so much thinking about, okay, we didn't even establish your ideal customers until like two years ago. <laughs> So it was just about more and more and more traffic. We got a lot of users and they were necessarily our ideal customers and so on. And also a lot of the traffic that we got, we looked at high opportunity keywords. I think there's opportunities to get. I'll give you an example. On our blog, you probably have, you can Google it. I don't know what we're placed now, but we haven't even focused or maybe even refreshed that page for a long time. But I think it's called like Symbols and Meanings. It's a blog post that we created years ago. And we might be still on page one somewhere. I don't know what it is now, but it used to be number one for many, many. And there's a handful of those that we created many years ago. And they generated a huge amount of traffic. A lot, a lot of people coming in, but no paid conversions from it. We didn't have attribution and all those things, like what page people are coming from, what revenue we're generating from one page, and what's the conversion around that page against the sign. We didn't have any of those. So it's all about driving more and more and more traffic. But when you drive a lot of traffic, even if you don't, have a lot of ideal people or you know you're still generating a lot of free users because it's open they click takes a second to sign up so we acquire a lot of those users the last few years we've been more and more focused on you know what we write about what we target and so on so we don't really focus much at all about on these high traffic opportunities we've probably exhausted most of them anyway um, we focus on like what is the product solution and what is uh, the ideal customer, what solution they might be looking for. So we write those. The problem, the challenge problem is that it, you have to write a lot of content. They generate very little traffic. Even if you're on page one, it might get like 300 views a month or 500 views a month, but they're more ideal customers. So the conversion rate can be a little bit higher. So I hope that answers your question, but <laughs> yeah, you know, content marketing in short and focusing on SEO, it's been something that we've we've invested a lot of time and effort on over the years. And I don't want to make it sound like it's, you know, you just get out there and just write a lot of content. And the more you write about it and, and it sticks, there's been a lot of figuring out and works. And we're still figuring some things out. But we kind of have figured out the formula uh, of, of what works for us. And we just are working on scaling. So what I heard was, hey, we went out and targeted a whole bunch of keywords um, we had some success with those. By the way, you're still number one for symbols and meaning as I just looked it up. So what else was it that helped you to get 
uh, organic search working. I mean, yeah, you can write a lot of content and target a lot of keywords, but that doesn't mean you're going to rank well for them. I know for a while you guys were spending a lot of time from the conversation I had with Fazard, which we talked about Responder, which is another company that has spun out from, from your business here. You guys were spending a lot of time creating content, but not much on distribution. And so that was kind of biting you for a while until you figured out you needed to do to kind of take a different approach. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, I mean, look, sometimes a certain, eventually, you know, great content, there's a saying content marketing, great content is going to automatically eventually place itself as well. Yeah, it, it eventually can. But you know, you, you put up a few logs and you got to give it a little spark to catch on fire. And so I think that spark, when you write something, you want to raise a certain level of awareness. I mean, we would share it on our social media channels. We do that all still continuously. That helps a little bit to some degree, depends on the content. You're not going to get virality often off of just like, you know, presenting something on social and so on. Still, there's the 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 web of the, the spider web of the whole Google mechanism, you know, out there. So as you write more content, your blog and your website gets larger. So you're writing, we have it, we have a whole directory for templates. You're in our template library for, I don't know, annual reports. Well, the annual reports may also link back to a topic related to our blog. So you're driving traffic from one place and sending them back advisors who are building these inner links very carefully. Um, but also you're creating awareness outside, you know, hey, wrote this article, this is common, everybody does, you know, and you feel it's with your audience, uh, would you mind like maybe adding it to your site and blog and so on as well or this particular post? I get emails from others wanting to do that on our site, but we're very exclusive as far as what we allow on our site because we want to be, you know, very, we have a very high quality control this stage. And so we're careful about what we add. So I wouldn't call it link building, but it's great in creating a certain amount of awareness and so on. Um, that's one part of it. And the other part is, you know, still you have to write great content in that aspect and also the optimization of the content and, you know, the formula of the, how valuable is that content for your audience, you know, title, meta tags, all those in, intrinsic things that goes in page loads. All of those, I think, have play a little bit of a, of a um, difference on that. Uh, so all of the above. I want to talk a little bit about one mistake that you potentially made. And we talked briefly about this a little earlier, this this kind of focus maybe too much on the product at the cost of not enough marketing. I think when we look at your business today, it seems to have worked out. But w when you look back, what kind of issues did that create for you at the time? Uh, let's see, there's so many mistakes, but the one you're particularly referring to would be oh, focusing on a product. Let's talk about that. The, I don't think it's a mistake. So I guess here's how I would put it. First of all, we focus, we have been, and to this day, we are very, very heavy product focus. We, we invest more in our product than sales and like marketing combined. I mean, it's, it's just, that's, you know, we spent a lot of time and effort on that. And a lot of other companies, I'm not talking about competitors of ours uh, at all, just other products out there and so on. There's products out there that are not product first, they're very sales first. And uh, so they invest a lot of time on that. And they do great, the revenue first, and it, it, it works to a certain degree. And so but at some point, they may hit a red, you know, an area where they didn't invest enough in the product and it gets harder to sell it and so on. For us, it's been the opposite. Um, you know, we have, I believe we've created a great product. Our users think so as well. And uh, we focus a lot on the product, but to a point where all we did was invest in product and just wrote a little bit of content. There was no other marketing. There was no other sales outbound or any of those at all you know if looking back 
you know, we would be further ahead, I think, if we had taken some of that product focus, a little bit of it. Some things are experimental. You don't know if they're going to work or not. You don't know how much ROI they're going to have, right? So, you know, I don't have regrets on almost most of the things we've built, but my mission and uh, at the creating VisMe really wasn't about let's generate as much revenue as possible. That was never why I did it. I just loved this platform to create it and put my heart and soul into it um, and do to this day and so on. At the end of the day, no, you realize after a few years that, you know, this is, uh, this is a company, it's a business that pays uh, 100 employees' salaries and families and healthcare and all those things. And of course, our users depend on it. So in order to be successful, it also means you have to have a good bottom line and so on. So that's, I guess, hoping to put into perspective is that, the, that we, have, we will continue to be very product first, but we're also investing more into other areas as well to really get the word out and awareness out of Vizme which I believe um, really deserves to be in the hand of more people. You mentioned competition. Let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, the one natural comparison I think people are likely to make when they look at Visme is Canva. And I want to talk a little bit about how you think about that space and how you are differentiating what you do. Interesting enough, I interviewed Melanie Perkins. I think she was like one of the five, first of five or ten people I interviewed when I started this podcast in 2014 and Canva had been around for like a year or two at the time I had no idea you know where where that was going to go and I think both of both Visme and Canva probably started around the same time they probably had a bit more luck and growth and I don't know where they are in terms of like 100 million plus users right now so just as you look at that and you know that's probably you know the elephant in the room the one of these big competitors how do you think about Visme and how are you differentiating the product? First, I, I would say all respect to um, Canva and everything they've accomplished. I think they're essentially one of the, uh, the top startups uh, out there. And there's a few things that we've done differently. And there's a few things that are very similar and also very different. So let me go through this because it's actually very important for people to know because that often is the part is when you know, there's a certain level of brand awareness to a, a product or brand out there. You don't really, you know, the immediate thing is, how are you different at? So for us, it was always, how are you different at PowerPoint? How are you different at PowerPoint, right? So it's uh, still that, but also how are you different at Canva and so on? How are you different in these other tools? But they are the, essentially, so we are very similar in that it's all-in-one design, all-in-one, you know, whiteboarding, uh, presentations, documents, all of those we have and they have as well. The, the route and approach that was taken was very different. One, you know, I literally say that we started, the product was just an experiment side project for like the first few years. So we don't really get serious about it in 2015 or 16. And at that point, they had gained a lot of momentum. And uh, another one was um, we never raised funds. So we've been completely bootstrapped to date, profitable for since essentially, I don't know, 2015 or so. And also, the approach that uh, they took and we took was very different. Um, I think they took a very bottoms of approach, open it up to all students, educators, it's free for all, very good, low, uh, very low price point and free actually for the first few years. There's no one even paywall on it, if I recall correctly. And also for everybody, you know, it's like to democratize design for everyone, you know? So ours was never really about that. Like we didn't have social graphics until years later. We didn't do... Um, any of those, it was like 
infographics, presentations, interactivity, you know, ability to like hover over and show something, animations and so on. So our route was a much smaller audience that were looking for interactivity animations and so on. Uh, their route was, uh, I think, I'm guessing that design for all. So a lot more people designing graphics than they are creating a pitch deck for their business, right? Later on, they added those things. So by then they built this huge following and so on. Our mission was totally opposite, like top to the bottom. It's like eventually, well, we want to allow, uh, allow people to, while they're creating the pitch deck and so on for their business to do that. So we're more business related. And as a result, the user base also was smaller. And we took a slower route and a later route to really start to ramp up. Our product, um, when you go inside of it, when you go through templates, you're going to see much, really almost most templates are for your business use case. So the, the design and the type and the quality of the graphics, the types of graphics, the, and the styles of the uh, templates and so on, they're really adhering more towards a professional. But if you're, let's say, have a baking, big shop or retail store and so on, mom and pop shop, you're probably not going to really like our tool for the templates and the assets that you have. But if you're a serving other businesses, you're consulting or any type of uh, uh, professional setting, you're going to see more of the stuff that you're looking for on our platform. So um, the other part is that we do have a certain level of support that goes above and beyond a lot of others. We have really good support team and uh, continual tutorials and uh, uh, information we put out um, as far as how to use the platform, different things to do with it and so on. Uh, so those are some of the things that we have, but we do really feel that we sit in the middle. So that if you were to put, let's say Adobe on the right and then let's say Canva on the left side, although that gray area is a little bit less gray, we do fall into that space where you get the best of both worlds, essentially. It, it sounds like you've got a lot clearer about your target customer than where you were in the early days, which was, let's just get tons of traffic and get anybody coming to the site. Exactly. I mean, Canva has raised, I guess, somewhere between five, 600 million. You've been building this business bootstrapped. Did you at any point think about going out raising money kind of, you know, adding some kind of fuel to the fire here? It's crossed the line a number of times. It's, yeah, sure. I mean, it's, there isn't a week that goes by that isn't some sort of interest from outside, you know, and I get, I don't even respond to most of the messages or, uh, you know, at, at this point and so on. The timing is what I'm looking for. What is that timing? I couldn't tell you, but, um, you know, at some point there will be some sort of event and, uh, but we're just, you know, looking for, um, the right time and the right moment to do that. Uh, there has been a little bit of a bug, I would say, over the years where unless you are in a startup bootstrap environment and you create something with your own hands, when I say hands, of course, my team and everyone and so on, but it didn't require a penny of outside help, even though you're a fraction of like the other size and you build this platform and people come to you and say, wow, how did you guys build this thing without any outside help? And like this thing has almost everything and does this and that. And then you have all these Fortune 500 companies, others using a platform. You know, it's just very fulfilling because you, you know, you just know that we built this and, um, and it's very satisfying in that degree. Of course, the disadvantage is that you don't have just fuel to, you know, you, you, we grew and then we invest. We grow, we invest. It wasn't where, hey, we raised $30 million. Let's, we need to burn through that over the next 18 months, 24 months. And for us was, hey, we grew. Um, our margins went up by, I don't know, 
hey, it's going up too high, let's reinvest it back. So it's been that type of style for us. You know, I couldn't put a timing on it. There has been that. It has, that is continual interest. And when the right person and the right time comes in, very likely we do something. I think the the takeaway for me, and I think for people listening is that sometimes people assume that there's only one path to, to building a, a SaaS business and you have to go out and you have to raise money and you have to do all of these things. And that might be right for some, it's not right for others. And I think it's more about understanding what drives you, what gets you out of bed every day, what's going to get you to keep working on this business for the next five, 10 years, and then choosing the right way to build the business rather than assuming that, you know, there's only one way to to go and do this. And I think you kind of touched on that earlier when you said, this wasn't as much about making as much money as I possibly could. It was like driven by a lot of passion for, for building this product. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. Yeah. Now, uh, there is more and more of a bug <laughs> now uh, that when, you know, you, you have this platform and you've created it and you really know, you know, we know that uh, it can solve a lot of challenges and problems for different companies and businesses and so on, which is why, you know, we're investing more into our sales and marketing uh, as time goes on. But yeah, and I'll, I will say this openly. I believe this uh, strongly. If we had raised in 2013, 14, maybe even 15, I think we probably wouldn't be here right now. And that sounds very like dumb. If I was running it then, I would have probably burned. I'm very calculated, but if I ran it the way that was expected to run based on what I, I was in discussion and so on, we would have hit certain walls and so on. And I think we would have had to get diluted a lot. I didn't want that to happen. And the reason for that is because the product is, was still raw for the first few years. And really, I was running the agency and I wasn't 100% focused on the SaaS. And not just that, I didn't know how to run a SaaS. We could brought certain people in and so on, and but yet I would have still had to make certain decisions. So, and I think uh, there's a lot of people I've seen that may do that. They, the first thing they think of is let's go raise some funds. My being up, you know, being realist versus too optimistic is that then, you know, when you look at the stats, you're going to hit a home run, your home runs being your unicorns and so on once in a while. And even when you are a unicorn, often the founders are heavily diluted down. And even when they reach unicorn status, you look at the market right now, how many unicorns do we have now versus last year, right? It's, it's up and down. So it's not so much about that, I think, is how much diluted you get. But just in general, running uh, Vizme is just a different way. It's not, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's wrong. It actually, I think it's, it, both paths are great. You have to see what makes sense for you and what your appetite is for risk. This was the safer route. We're still here and we're growing and we have the capacity to decide when, if we want to raise and so on. Once you go that route, you can't go back. And I think we had gone that, we would have had certain regrets. But all, I will say this also, it's never been cheaper than launch, to launch a SaaS company. Anybody can launch a SaaS infrastructure and so on. You don't really need a lot of startup costs to start a SaaS company. What you need is a great solution that solves problems and so on and between the noise. And sometimes more money doesn't solve that. You know? So um, that's where we're heading. Here's a little theory I have. And I was just talking to my colleagues, ChatGPT, OpenAI. Right now, everything's AI, AI. I believe just like we were going through the Bitcoin craze, 
cryptocurrency about a year and a half, two years ago. You look at all those companies and how many of them are going to be left in about a year or two. And right now with the AI, everybody's layering over one company's great, fantastic solution. Everybody's come with their own solution. There's going to be this flood of all these dot-coms. And there's only going to be a, a handful that are really going to be successful and standing. Most of them are going to be out. So there's a lot of noise out there. We'll bring you back in a couple of years and, and see how things turn out. I want to talk a little bit about pricing. You know, 17 million users. Uh, we, we know in, in any kind of freemium business model, the majority of those free users probably never going to pay for the product. And so, you know, part of it is about figuring out how you use your target customer, how you're going to reach those people, how you're going to speak to them, position all that stuff. But I think pricing is also another factor, like figuring out what to put in a, a free plan versus a paid plan can have all kinds of implications for your business in terms of whether you attract the right kind of free users and usage and word of mouth because a free plan is great enough that even those people who are not going to pay are still doing something to help get the word of mouth out there. Um, but at the same time, you've got to figure out the pricing in terms of how you're going to convert some of those people. So you mentioned the paywall, but what happened after that? How, what, was, what kind of struggles did you experience when you tried to optimize pricing? First, I mean, you know, when looking early, early on, I think a lot of companies phases. You, you know, you put up a paywall and, and you're like this anticipation and you're like, well, if 100 people come in, probably two or three are going to sign up or five going to sign up or 10. And you're like, what the heck? It's not it's not doing that. So there's a lot of work that goes into into that pricing. We just throw some prices off though, like we just throw it out on the site and say, OK, let's start from here. I don't know what it was, but it was pretty low. I think it was like 10 bucks a month, 15 bucks a month or whatever. But the product just didn't have anywhere of the, the things that it does today and so on. Uh, the free model was always was when we made it a freemium version where we close it off where hey, there's a free version, there's a paid version. Uh, for a number of years, we had a lot of restrictions in place, only a handful of templates, um, a lot of icons and graphics were blocked and so on. But uh, a few years ago, we opened a lot more. So the free version is a lot more open. And the reason for that is because we want people to ex get a deeper experience, to understand what they can really create and so on. And then there's paywalls in certain areas to kind of get you, you know, to um, prompt you to upgrade and get the benefits and so on. Um, you know, when it comes to privacy, downloading a certain formats, you know, certain collaborative features, these are more business related and so on, right? You, you, you want, uh, those are uh, premium additional storage and so on. So, but over the years we have adjusted the pricing a number of times and early on it was just guesses, you know, let's change it and see what happens. Well, if we, you know, increase a little bit more, maybe we'll get more users, but that doesn't always mean, and that's not the case. So we do a lot of AB testing and uh, last year we did a lot of AB testing and even the year before. Uh, to figure out some of the areas and improvements in our platform and uh, figure out what's right for us. You know, so you get a lot of discount going annual in Visme and, uh, you know, retention and so on is much better, of course, when you're annual versus monthly. One of the big challenges that we have is it's uh, churn, as with any type of business like ours, is always a problem. We have really good low churn, uh, very low churn when it comes to teams and enterprises, as is the case with most, right? They love a the tool, they keep paying for it. And we have ones, the first enterprises still with us, you know, today um, that joined years ago. So that's very good. The other side of it, which is a lot of the users that are coming in, they're here for a one-off project. 
you know, I just want to create one graphic and that's it. Um, love the tool. Fantastic. We'll be back in six months or a year or later. That counts as churn for us. There are users that don't need it often. And so they still take a good amount of revenue, as is the case with products like ours. But so what's happening is our B2B side is growing at a much better pace, faster pace than the B2C side essentially is. And that's because it's a much lower retention and expansion is good on it. What would you say to somebody who says having a bootstrap business and a freemium model where you have to support millions of free users who most of them will never become customers is a really bad idea. Like you shouldn't have a free plan. Yeah, um, well, it is a good point, but uh, I would disagree at least for us. So you, you figure out a model where you decide how much is it costing you to support the free users and so on. We have a higher level of support for our paid users. So free users do get support, but it's higher level, more granular, and uh, support is costly. You know, creation of content and so on, uh, we've built some very good optimal systems and infrastructure in place that's scalable and the, the cost has been very well managed. And uh, so, you know, I would say is if you are strictly going to be an enterprise solution, you probably want to go that route. Uh, right, close everything off. That actually has been something that's proposed over and over again to Vizme is that you guys have the, 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 like the best solution when it comes to creating powerful presentations and so on and really should be an enterprise solution. Close off your uh, B2B side and so on. That's come up numbers and investors that have actually said, in order for us to do that, you have to do that. And I was like, this, is not, this was not built for just enterprises. This is built for everyone um, that wants to use it. Um, so it depends on product by product. Some products do not make sense to be freemium, but if the cost is very low, the advantage is that you gain brand awareness. People go create a content of me, they go share it on Twitter and so on and other social. Where'd you create this? Oh, they click on a link, they come to Visme. So it has that benefit. So there is the, um, the scalability from that side uh, that you're able to, to gain that you would not when the tool is completely uh, closed off. So we have presentation competitors of ours that are completely closed off and extremely expensive. We could generate a lot more revenue with the people would pay for it, companies would pay for it because we compete with those, but we decided not to do that. How big is like your hosting bill? Tens of thousands a month. <laughs> yeah, tens of thousands a month. I think Amazon is pretty happy about it. And it goes up each month. <laughs> of course. All right, let's, uh, let's wrap up. We're going to uh, go on to the lightning round. I've got seven quick fire questions for you. What's one of the best pieces of business advice that you've ever received? Good things take time to build. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? Well, I'll be honest. I don't read a lot of books. I read a lot of articles these days, a lot of posts and articles. But I, if I read, when I typically read books, it would be more uh, about spirituality and uh, you know, the secret I think was one that would that I would mention. And uh, I loved Stephen uh, King books, you know. So the Stan, one of my favorite. But if you're talking about business, most of my content I consume, you know, I'm on TechCrunch and CNBC and some of the you know Twitter following very specific people, and I uh, love the information they share. That's where I get most of my information. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? Grounded. <laughs> Stay grounded because you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to fall so many damn times. <laughs> you will be grounded regardless. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? I spend way too much time on Slack. 
So I could say productivity, but I will also say unproductivity. <laughs> well, what's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the time? There's one I'm working on right now. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be an extension of Ismi. So you guys will see, I guess, check back in a, later this year. All right. Uh, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Well, I'll give you a few. Um, I used to be into bodybuilding, eat six meals a day, train four or five, you know, intense hours a week and so on. Used to be that. Now I eat maybe two meals a day, intermittent fasting and keto and vegan five days a week. You want more? <laughs> <laughs> and finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? Spend time with my son. Love it. Cool. Okay, great. So if people want to check out uh, Vizme, they can go to vizme.co. Or .com. So vizme.com. And uh, if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? LinkedIn is probably the best place. Just look up my first name, last name. You're going to get one result. That would be me. All right, great. Well, Payman, thank you so much for uh, joining me today and sharing the story and uh, some of your uh, experiences and lessons along the way. Uh, congratulations on what you've achieved so far with the business and uh, I wish you and the team the best of success. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Omar. My pleasure. Cheers.